This is the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and we're running down some of the top stories of the week. Don't forget to check out the Daily Dive Monday through Friday for more news without the noise. One of the other big stories of the week was coming out of Facebook. They had identified 32 pages on Facebook and Instagram that were spreading misinformation. They banned those pages. It was something similar to the election meddling that happened in 2016. What did these pages have in them, Miranda? A lot of these pages were created to appeal to the far left. So they were pages like called Resist, which is a feminist resistance Facebook page. And they were setting up these fake events to bring people who are following these pages to places like D.C. or New York. That was one of the reasons why Facebook decided to release that information. They were very early in their investigation and they don't know exactly who's behind it, although signs point to Russian interference again. But they wanted to bring it out because some of these events were happening in the coming weeks. They were concerned about people's safety should they actually show up to these events. Who would really be sponsoring them? Let's take a listen to an interview that I had earlier this week with Kyle Cheney. He's a congressional reporter from Politico. It was a pretty significant admission that they detected some ongoing efforts to influence U.S. politics and exacerbate political tensions here beyond just what they had done in 2016. We knew that foreign actors and other malicious actors would attempt to interfere. This is the first real confirmation that it was ongoing and happening. It's not totally clear that this is Russia again, although the signs are all pointing in that direction. And so it's a sign that they are far from deterred from moving again in that direction. And 2018 could be a repeat of what we saw in 2016. Yeah. So in total, they removed 32 pages and accounts from Mm -hmm. Facebook and Instagram. Doesn't seem like much. They did say that there Mm -hmm. were more than 290,000 accounts that followed at least one of those pages. So how big was this operation? Well, on the scale of, you know, America's engagement with Facebook, this is very tiny. I think they also spent about $11,000 on Facebook ads, 150 ads. This is nothing. This is not going to move public opinion in a massive way. But it does show you that these same actors are still doing what they did in 2016. A lot of disputed, by the way, about how much their efforts in 2016 may have moved the political needle, too. But that was part of a much broader influence campaign that also involved hacking and other sorts of tactics. So the question is, is this also part of a broader campaign? And at least this facet of it seems to be unchanged from what they were doing a couple of years ago. Facebook is attributing to some of the changes that they've made since the election the last time. Mm-hmm. As you said, it's a very tiny engagement on and relative to Facebook. Some of these pages had between zero and 10 followers. Mm-hmm. These Instagram accounts had zero followers. One of the significant things that almost 10,000, 9,500 organic posts were created mm-hmm. by these accounts. So very small, but still people were attaching themselves to it or re-submitting uh, these stories and things right. like that. There was even one event, I think, that one of the accounts posted that had something like 4,700 interested attendees. So it shows that they were still duping, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of people. And that raises questions about how effective they could be at even just nudging certain issues to the forefront. They had posts related to the Abolish ICE movement that's become a hot button issue inside democratic circles. And so it seems like they're trying to put their finger on some of these things and just nudge them a little bit to an unknown effect. Some of the other groups were like the resistors and mm-hmm. things against Unite the Right. Uh, Facebook said that the reason why they had come public with some of this stuff is because it was tied to some of those events that you had just mentioned that were going to happen in a couple weeks time. So they just wanted to get ahead of it, take them off of Facebook right. now so that nothing would happen in case people did attend these events. 
how did they end up finding these? Because I know some of the accounts slipped up. Like you said, they signs are yeah. pointing that they were tied to elements of Russian interference, but there was a yep. few slip ups and that's how they caught them. This was the fascinating part, the sort of forensic way they did this. So apparently this account called the resistors had briefly engaged with one of the Russia backed accounts that Facebook had already suspended last year. And that account, even it was briefly listed as the administrator for the resistors page. So when they discovered that they worked backwards through this resistors page and I used the, the algorithm to identify 30, these other 31 pages and accounts that they ended up disabling. So they were able to find patterns and code and, and things that sort of connected all these accounts. And that's also why they believe there's probably Russian fingerprints on it because of that overlap with the earlier Russian account that was suspended. What has reaction been so far from members of Congress and the Senate? A lot of them are quick to throw blame at Russia. Things are pointing towards it. We don't know. Facebook yep. has said already they don't know exactly. They're very early in their investigation. But what has a congressional response been so far? That's been exactly it. Members of both parties even very quick to say this is almost certainly the Kremlin. This is certainly Russia being aggressive again. They're not waiting for the final results of what Facebook found because they think the evidence is pretty compelling already. Facebook wants to be absolutely airtight, but they think there's enough there to say this is Russia. They think it just is going to be a partisan split, of course, about how you respond to it. But this is already ongoing talk about further sanctions uh, on Russia based on election interference and, and some of the moves they've made in recent weeks and months. So this may just add fuel to those discussions. Well, we still have, I guess, about three more months or so till the midterm elections. So I'm sure we'll see a few more cases of this, but it does seem like they are very on it this time. But it is just a midterm. You know, who knows what will happen for the next for the larger elections uh, in a few more years. Well, and as you pointed out, they're getting better at this. Whether it just turned out to be Russia or not, whoever is doing this, Facebook said, is doing a far better job than even the Russians did in 2016 to mask their identities and prevent Facebook from detecting them. Facebook implemented all kinds of safeguards against this, and they did find these accounts, but not till after they had begun disseminating their messages. Clearly, the actors are getting a little more sophisticated, and that's going to make the job of the overseers a lot harder. Kyle Cheney, congressional reporter for Politico. Thank you very much for joining us. Anytime. Glad to be here. One of the more interesting stories of the week was the story of ghost guns. A federal judge had halted plans to put blueprints on how to 3D print your own gun online. The company called Defense Distributed was going to be releasing these things. So a judge halted it. It was came after the president had a tweet about it, actually. Miranda, what did he say? President Trump tweeted on July 31st, I am looking into 3D plastic guns being sold to the public. Already spoke to NRA. It doesn't seem to make much sense. And a lot of people thought it was kind of confusing because it was the administration that was seems very beneficial to gun rights. And they actually cut a deal with Defense Distributed. They were going to let them publish those blueprints starting August 1st. That's why this judge stepped in at the last second and decided to halt it. So we're going to have a conversation with Andy Greenberg. He's a senior writer at Wired. He's been following Cody Wilson and Defense Distributed for many years, so he knows all about this. Let's start with the judge's ruling. What did he rule and why? This ruling was actually overturning or putting a, a restraining order, at least, on another ruling that this group called Defense Distributed that wants everybody in the world to be able to print a gun or create a gun at home, this kind of gun access advocacy group, they had won a settlement 
against the U.S. government that would have allowed them, after years of restrictions, to start sharing any commercially available gun blueprint or 3D printable model for firearms online. And they were going to launch what they hoped was going to become the world's biggest repository of technical data and blueprints and CAD models for firearms. They had put up some of their files in the previous days when this group of attorneys general all over the country sued them and sued the State Department that had settled with Defense Distributed and got this judge to put this emergency restraining order on Defense Distributed, preventing them from publishing anything else. And they had to take down the collection of files they had already put up for now. They won this legal battle using the First Amendment as their legal argument. Back in 2013, when Defense Distributed posted the blueprints for the first 3D printable gun, the State Department had told them, you're not allowed to do that because it's an export control violation. It's as if they had shipped this gun to another country in the mail physically rather than just putting this file on the Internet. But because the Internet goes everywhere in the world, they call that an export. And Defense Distributed and Cody Wilson, its founder, sued, arguing that they had a First Amendment right to put whatever information they want on the Internet, basically. It's hard to know if that argument won, because the State Department essentially rolled over and conceded everything Defense Distributed wanted before a judge even had a chance to rule on it. That argument was really compelling, but we don't actually know if it was going to work in court or not. Tell us about who Cody Wilson is and what he thinks the purpose of all this is. I guess I know Cody Wilson pretty well at this point, and he is really complicated character. He is a radical libertarian. He's an anarchist, he would say. He is definitely an extremist on these issues, and he doesn't shy away from that term either. He wants to make it possible for anyone anywhere in the world to obtain a weapon. He's not particularly bothered by the idea that that could include people like felons and the mentally ill and even minors. I've seen a few videos that he had posted also where, yeah, he does mention all this stuff about the guns, but he has an even larger point where he says he wants to provide people with plans to be able to build everything. And he has little pictures of robotic arms and things like that. Basically, get around business and not have to deal with it so people have that power. They can do it on their own. So he has larger plans even besides just the gun stuff, but although this is a big part of his business right now. Talking to Cody Wilson for years, I've never really seen him do much to advance anything but guns. He has taken kind of side roads. He ran a, a Bitcoin money laundering software project at one point, but mostly he's been focused on guns. And he is at least as interested in the Second Amendment as he is in this First Amendment argument. He is very much a proponent of gun access for the whole world, I think above all else. I don't think he's actually that interested in helping people to make prosthetic arms right. or something. I think he's interested in 3D printing as this potential tool for anarchists. But the only really practical or interesting way that that's come to the fore so far is in firearms. You've been able to get out to the Defense Distributed headquarters, talk to Cody and see what the process is there. How do they turn a gun into computer code? How do they turn it into blueprints that anybody can download? In the past, their goal has been to create blueprints for a gun that can be turned from a digital file to a physical gun with a 3D printer or computer-controlled milling machines that carve an object out of metal, the kind of opposite process from 3D printing. Now that they have won this settlement, they've been really focused on the opposite process, which is turning lots and lots of guns that are already accessible to them into digital files so they can upload to the web. To do that, they've been using really old-fashioned tools, actually. They've been using like these kind of gauges that can precisely measure every line in an 
AR-15 components, and then slowly putting together those hundreds or thousands of measurements, essentially manually into a piece of software that can assemble a, a three-dimensional model of that component. And it's those very accurate and minute details and numbers that they need that translates over. So when they put those on the internet and people download those and then they want to try to make it on their own, they have it up to the millimeter specification they need so that it is as accurate a weapon as possible. The goal here is to create this gold standard library of gun files that will grow and grow. Eventually, it won't just be these traditional weapons. It'll be these kind of mutated weapons or evolving weapons that will be maybe more practical or durable when you make them on a 3D printer or some other kind of digital fabrication tool. One of the interesting things that I read in your article, and you had mentioned that he wants to create the largest repository for these gun blueprints possible. He's also trying to create a library there with a, you know, most people would kind of toss that away and not really think of it, but it has a very specific purpose why he wants to build a library. What is that? For one thing, Cody Wilson really likes books. He's kind of like this erudite guy who dropped out of law school, as you said, and sees himself as an intellectual. So he loves the idea of having a library, but it does also serve this other ulterior motive, which is that if you have a library that's certified, I think you have to get your congressman to certify it actually as like a, an actual legitimate library. Then you get access to this archive of military gun files, as he describes it to me. It's this you know old school, decades old collection of rifle models and things. And he wants to include that in the repository of data that he's uploading to the internet. So by creating a library, he gets this massive stack of microfiche tapes that he can then digitize and put online and supplements what he himself is measuring and what people who use the site are uploading in a kind of user-generated model. You said you were walking around and you even found a granite tombstone that had the words American gun control on it. And he hopes to put it up somewhere around there as well. But this is one of the goals that he has to kind of get around it so that these gun control laws mean nothing. I basically tripped on this piece of granite, this big block that had American gun control etched into it. Now that is buried outside of his library under a tree. This very, very explicit, not exactly a metaphor. It's like pretty obvious what he means. Defense Distributed and Cody Wilson understand that American gun control is already very weak, or it is currently. This administration has no interest in gun control laws, and it's already very easy to buy a firearm in America. But what they see their project as doing is heading off future gun control as well. Even if you pass some omnibus firearm control act, there's still going to be, if they get their way, a big repository of digital files online and a collection of these home fabrication tools around the world that can just churn out weapons that essentially circumvents all of those laws that in the privacy of your home, you can create any kind of weapon, even if you can't buy it due to some future gun control. You've been following Cody for quite some time now, spending time in the offices and everything, but you actually tried your hand at making a ghost gun and you were very successful. I saw the videos that you guys put up on Wired. Walk us through that process. You went through three different processes to make a gun. The one that was successful was using the Ghost Gunner, which is a milling box that Defense distributed through Cody Wilson, they sell. You can buy this, anybody can buy this, and it helps you make that gun, that Ghost Gun that is untraceable. So what was your process like? Well, I was determined to see how easy it is to do this process of making a so-called Ghost Gun, you know, where the idea is that the only regulated part of an AR-15 in American law is this one piece that is called the lower receiver. It's like the core body of the gun. 
Everything else you can just buy online. If you make that one core piece at home, that's the only part that's regulated. So essentially, you can circumvent all gun control by making one piece of metal. So I tried to make that piece every way that I had heard of. I tried this sort of old school manual method where you use a drill press to carve out what's called an 80% lower receiver, one that's almost finished, but not quite so that somebody can still sell it to you without any gun control. Those are pretty widely available. You can just buy the 80% lower receiver and then it's just on you to finish the process basically. That's right. So you get this chunk of aluminum that looks almost like a lower receiver but not quite close enough that it's affected by gun control laws. And I tried to finish that with a drill press, like a manual power tool, and basically failed just because I'm not a very skilled, technical, shop class kind of guy. Then I did try a 3D printer, and that was a piece of cake. And watching this lower receiver materialize inside of a 3D printer is really impressive. But when I showed it to a gunsmith, he thought that it may not have been durable enough. But I had also tried a third method, which was using this computer-controlled milling machine. It basically does the same job as that drill press of finishing an 80% lower receiver. It can also make other gun components, but it does this one job very quickly and easily. You kind of just click through a set of instructions like a Windows wizard, and it does all of the work of robotically carving this component and finishing it for you until it looks like a store-bought body of an AR-15. We felt like we had to test it and we put more than 100 rounds through it. And then after the one uh, jam, after like oiling it up a little bit, it, it did work perfectly. And it's pretty indistinguishable from any AR-15 that you might buy. And yet I had not interacted with any kind of gun control to create it. So you've spoken to Cody, you've seen the legal battle that's been going on, you've made your own gun. What do you think this is going to do for the future of gun control? 3D printers are getting more advanced. They can already print in metal at the industrial level. Soon there may be consumer-grade metal 3D printers, which will change this question entirely. At the same time, there's already this kind of practical threat of so-called ghost guns, like I created, where you just make this one part of the gun that's regulated and everything else you buy off the internet or whatever. So there's kind of two sides to this. There's one that is right around the corner. Then there's another that's years in the future. And both of those issues are real pressing dangers with different timelines, but equally dangerous in their own ways. Andy Greenberg, senior writer at Wired. Thank you very much for joining us. Glad to be here. Thanks. All right, that's it for us this weekend. Be sure to check out The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive Weekend Edition.